For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, I got one of the brain trusts behind the behemoth kiss machine here on today's talk is Jericho. Rock and roll manager extraordinaire, one of the most legendary managers in rock history. Doc McGee brings his crazy, unbelievable, amazing music stories to talk is Jericho. He and I did a live podcast on the Kiss Cruise, and that's what you're going to hear today in front of some of the greatest Kiss fans, in front of the, uh, some of the greatest Jericho fans. Jericho McGee, one-on-one, and yes, he's talking all about Kiss, including some pretty hilarious and crazy stories about Ace Fraley, plus how he helped to uh, reignite the Kiss Flame with the reunion tour back in 1996. Plus, he'll talk about how he basically discovered Motley Crue and managed them through their 80s heyday, and how wild and crazy they are and were, including the time they bit Eddie Van Halen and almost got kicked off the tour, which led to a Van Halen versus Motley Crue versus ACDC fight. What are you talking about? Doc is going to explain it all to you plus he also managed james brown discovered bon jovi managed them in their height uh, in their heyday worked with the scorpions in their fed the height of their fame organized and put on the moscow music peace festival and nearly managed mikhail gorbachev that's what i said gorbachev true story doc tells it right here on talk is jericho it is a can't miss must hear the edition of talk is jericho doc said afterwards it was one of his favorite interviews he's ever done ever in the history of his career which is huge for us huge for you excited for you to hear it also excited to tell you about diamond dallas page and ddp yoga i was on the kiss cruise because i'm still able to to play with fozzy at the height of 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 my uh, abilities at the height of my um uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh, being in shape physicality is is off the charts and it's completely due to diamond dallas page and ddp yoga it's true it's true it's all true ddp yoga saved my music career and my wrestling career and i'm not the only one who had his life changed thanks to ddp okay arthur borman also experienced the life-changing benefits of ddp yoga arthur is a disabled veteran who was injured after jumping out of airplanes as a paratrooper he did dozens and dozens of jumps slowly his body wore down for 15 years he was told he'd never walk again without the aid of crutches and leg braces he gained a ton of weight and nearly gave up on himself you know the first time i heard arthur's story was when i was having some health injuries myself i had just finished dancing with the stars and had uh, just pitched cheryl burke down the dance floor felt something pop horrible horrific pains in my back and was told i needed back surgery that was my only option the show was so physically 
demanding. I've told you guys about this on the podcast a few times, but seriously, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And my back was left in such bad shape. I was having trouble doing normal everyday things. Forget about getting in the ring and getting on stage with Fozzie. I thought both my wrestling and singing careers were over. I tweeted out a photo of myself on an acupuncturist table, just trying about anything I could to deal with the back pain with minimal success. And a few minutes after I sent that tweet, my old friend Diamond Dallas Page uh, called me and told me about DDP yoga. I thought, yeah, right. Yoga's for hippies and gurus. How's that going to fix my back problem? He said, listen, I'm going to send it to you, but you have to promise to use it. And I remembered that DDP had come back from some pretty severe injuries himself. And then he sent me the video of Arthur, the disabled veteran. And that was it. That was all I needed to see. The video was that inspiring. Still is. So I'm here today telling you guys, DDP yoga was the answer for me. Just like it was the answer for Arthur Borman, Jake the Snake Roberts, Scott Hall, Ryback, Kane, Gold Dust, and tens of thousands of other people. It can work for you too. In fact, I want to hear your DDP yoga stories. Tweet them to me at Talk is Jericho. Use the hashtag podcast one and you could win a copy of the DDP yoga program autographed by Diamond Dallas Page himself. That's right. Just tweet me your DDP yoga story at Talk is Jericho. Use the hashtag podcast one and you have a chance to win an autographed Diamond Dallas Page yoga program. A winner will be chosen at random and everybody's a winner if you do DDP yoga because it will get you in the best shape of your life. Listen, I turned 45 two days ago. I'm in the best shape of my life. Had to post the a beefcake picture on Instagram to prove it. I'm telling you right now, DDP Yoga completely responsible for getting me back into shape, putting me back in the game, and making me feel better than ever. Listen, you still have time to experience your own DDP Yoga story. You have time to change your life around because DDP has given you guys a great deal on DDP Yoga right here. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Take advantage. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to get in the best shape of your life. I'm telling you right here, right now, DDP Yoga changes lives, and I'm living, breathing proof of that. Go check it out and do it now. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pot of thunder and rock and roll. The remedy for boredom has arrived. The People's Podcast is here. Let's go for a ride with a little Fozzie and lights go out. Just us colliding When the lights go out We own the night 
to play that song today because we had such a great time on the Kiss Cruise. That song, Lights Go Out, goes over so big time. And uh, just super excited about every experience I had on that cruise, playing for some great Fozzie fans, making some new Fozzie fans, hanging out with Paul and Gene, watching Kiss, and getting a chance to do a live podcast with Doc McGee. All right? Such a very, very cool time. Um, It's funny because it was my birthday uh, two days ago on Monday, November 9th. And first of all, thanks to everybody who sent me such great birthday wishes. I think I had like 150 texts. I had over 2,000 tweets, uh, thousands of comments on Instagram and Facebook, and just goes to show that I have the greatest fans in the history of the world. And I know everybody says that, but you guys are my fans, and I love you, and you couldn't be better, especially every year on my birthday. And a lot of people said, you know, what did you do on your birthday? How special was it? Well, the funny thing is, it's the same thing that happened to me last birthday. I was basically traveling. November 9th, uh, I flew from Los Angeles all the way to Seattle, all the way to London, where I'm getting ready to to host the Classic Rock Awards on November 11th at the Roundhouse in London, which will be later on tonight. Um, I had to do rehearsals and press and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I got together with, with my old friend Wallace, who was the uh my partner in the btwf our old big time wrestling federation who moved he moved to london a while ago so had some dinner with him had some great time it basically just kind of laid low because i had such a crazy weekend i mean it's been such a crazy couple months to be honest with you and every time november 9th rolls around it seems like i'm doing something different now last year on november 9th is when i went to kiss in las vegas at the residency to see them at the Hard Rock Hotel. I had a great time. It was the first time I ever met Paul Stanley face-to-face. We did a great podcast. If you guys remember the, uh, the Paul Stanley first podcast, he's since returned to do the Alive 40 podcast. If you're a KISS fan, you should listen to both of those. If you're a rock and roll fan, listen to both of those. And here I am a year later, I was invited to go to Paul's uh, wedding renewal. He, he did a wedding renewing his vows. So... Um, it's just funny how things can change in a year, going from this guy being one of my all-time heroes to being a uh, Talk is Jericho alumni to actually going to his, basically his wedding. And, you know, I'm not going to get into too much details about it, but suffice it to say, it was an amazing time, had a great time, and you ain't seen a thing until you've seen Gene Simmons cut it up on a dance floor in front of the wedding band. <laughs> so that was great. But, you know, so then I get into a plane and fly over to London. So I had my birthday was on Monday. I had the Paul Stanley thing on Saturday. And then on Wednesday, I'm hosting the Classic Rock Awards, where I find out that Jimmy Page is going to be there and accept an award. Brian May will be there and accept an award. Alice Cooper, uh, Bruce Dickinson, Talk is Jericho alumni. Rod Smallwood will be there. My old buds, uh, we, are, uh, we Are Harlot, uh, Danny and Jeff and the guys. So it's like my birthday is kind of a whole week-long celebration, whereas the ninth itself was kind of cut short because I was on a plane flying to London. Every day's every day's your birthday when you're Chris Jericho and when you have such great, amazing fans like you guys. And it's just really cool to uh, to kind of see how 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 many cool things I've been doing. I mean, it's just ridiculous, man. So actually, I remember my my, my longest birthday was in about '94. I was working in Mexico and Japan exclusively. I couldn't get a job in the States. Nobody would hire me. ECW wouldn't call me back. WWE didn't know I exist. WCW turned me down. I kept calling Ric Flair, who was the booker. Uh, I was told to call him, and I called him every every month um, on, on like clockwork. And one week he was 
in Aruba. Another week he was in a meeting. Another week his dog, you know, ate his homework, whatever it was. So nobody in the States would give me the time of day. But I had a great job in Mexico working in CMLL for Paco Alonso. And I just started working for Tenru Genshiro in, in Japan, WAR, with Jado and Gato, who were on this show a few months ago as well. So I wanted to see how long can I stay on the road. I had no wife. I had no kids. You know, I had no, had no lo- obligations. I had no place to live. I was basically just living on, uh, on Dr. Luther Lenny St. Clair's floor in Vancouver. So I thought, well, I'm just going to stay on the road for as long as I possibly can. Like, I don't know if it's going to be for one month or two months or whatever it was. It ended up being like 17 weeks, 18 weeks. And what I would do is I would just fly from Mexico. I'd work there. I could, you could work there year round. And then when the Japanese tours came up, I'd fly from Mexico to Japan. So, and then I'd stay in Japan for two or three weeks and fly back to Mexico. And the Mexican company took care of me. They would let me keep my stuff in my hotel room so I never had to check out. That was kind of like my year-round residence was in Mexico. And I would fly back and forth to Japan and from Japan. So I remember one as if you're, if you're in Japan, uh, if you're flying to Japan, you lose a day. If you're in Japan flying back to North America, you gain a day. So you could actually leave at 5 p.m. on a Monday from Tokyo and land at like 4 p.m. on a Monday in you know mexico city so you'd actually get home before you left technically and one of those days i remember i i I won the uh i believe it was the nwa junior heavyweight championship from ultimo dragon on november 8th or i lost it to him one of those two it was a big championship match i'm gonna say i won it Uh, no i'm gonna say i lost it it's probably better think i lost it so i lost the title on the 8th then flew back to mexico on the 9th left tokyo i think it was at like i don't know 1 p.m on, on, on November 9th, so it was my birthday, and then flew all the way to Mexico City, and when I landed, it was like 2 p.m. on November 9th, which was my birthday. Now, of course, I couldn't get a chance to go and do anything because I was jet-lagged and on a plane. I think I had to work that night in Mexico. Usually when I flew back from Japan, I'd land in Mexico City and go straight to work, so it wasn't like there was a lot of drinking or a lot of partying or anything like that, but I did technically have a 48-hour birthday which would be great if I had like a huge party in a warehouse with Van Halen playing and like, you know, all of my best friends there and like, you know, whatever. But it didn't work out that way. It was more just sitting on a plane. And this was pre-first class too. A, a young uh, Lionheart, Corazon de Leon, did not fly first class. Uh, I flew uh, in the back, middle seat, smoking. So anybody that thinks, oh, Jericho is first class. Yes, I, I've deserved it. And I do fly first class for wrestling now. But back in those days, uh, you know, you were lucky if you could get a seat, and most of the time it was in a middle seat. And a lot of times it was in a middle seat between kids. I don't know why that was. It was like one little brother would get the window, one little brother would get the aisle, and they'd be playing with each other with me sitting in the middle. And finally, it was like Schwarzenegger was like, stop. If you continue to do that, this is what I'm going to do with you. Remember Schwarzenegger and Twins when he like snapped the pencil? If you do not stop doing this, this is what I'm going to do with you. The worst Schwarzenegger imitation ever. But that was, was me. And this is back to when uh, planes used to have smoking sections. And I'd be like, why do you have a smoking section again? What is the point of this? Because if the smoke goes across you know, the aisle and I'm sitting in 4B and you're smoking in, in 3G, is that smoke just going to stop like a curtain right in front of 4 or is it just going to drift over into my section anyways? I never really caught that. So anyways, 
that is uh, the story of my longest birthday. So this birthday, no drinks, a couple, you know, a couple cocktails at dinner. Had a great dinner, um, but couldn't really get Lodsky because I had responsibilities. I have to rehearse for the Classic Rock Awards. I got to write some jokes. I actually wrote a great joke uh, with Paul Stanley that I'm not going to tell you here. And if it goes over huge, I'm going to take full credit for it. And if it bombs, I'm going to blame it on Paul. So we'll see what happens. But it's coming up, the Classic Rock Awards tonight in London, in the Roundhouse. And then, of course, the Fozzie Tour starts in Rotterdam on Friday. We're going to talk all about that in a little bit. But more importantly, right here, right now, Doc McGee, Kiss's manager, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Scorpions, James Brown, Hootie and the Blowfish, Mikhail Gorbachev. Who hasn't he managed? He knows a lot about rock and roll. All right. You guys having a good time so far on the cruise? I mean, how amazing is this, right? It's like a dream come true for us. And also, the dream continues today. If you guys have heard my podcast, Talk is Jericho, I've been fortunate enough to have a really tight kiss connection. Uh, Paul has been on twice, including uh, the exclusive interview of the 40th anniversary of Kiss Alive, talking all about that. If you haven't heard it, go check it out. Uh, Gene was on. I went to his house and did that. I had Ace on. I had Bruce Kulik on. So today, uh, the the trend continues. Not exactly a member of KISS on stage, but one of the most important members of KISS, if not the most important member of KISS off stage, their manager, the manager to the stars, Mr. Doc McGee. Well, that was a big introduction. That's good, huh? Yeah. I, I've done this a few times before. So I'm um, excited to be here with you, Doc, and the fifth anniversary of the KISS cruise. And you mentioned yesterday that it's a record this, this year of... How many countries? Yeah, so far we've counted 35 countries. We had 33 last year, so 35. This it's year. amazing. So it's become almost like a, an annual tradition for a lot of people where they come back every year. This is like their, their yearly vacation is coming on the cruise. Well, I think it's, you know, when we started this thing, it was like you, had, you didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. You, you go, let's get on a boat with 3,000 of our fans, and everybody goes, really? <laughs> <You're> <laughs> and stuck. then we go, yeah, and then... As the years go by, we understand that it's really doesn't have anything to do with KISS, except that that's the common goal between everybody is the, the KISS army. But it's that it's the fans that get to interact on Facebook and Twitter, and then they become friends with all these people around the world, and then they all meet here. Mm-hmm. And so we're just actually the background music to their party. Because if they've all seen KISS, I had how many times, I mean, 20, some people see them a hundred and sometimes. Yeah, you know, it's just so. this is for the hardcore, hardcore Kiss fanatics. Yeah, and 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 also to just have fun with you know people that have something in common mm-hmm. with you, which is Kiss. When you came up with this idea, so it was five years ago. Because now cruises are kind of the trend. I mean, so many yeah. bands have them. There's uh, like traveling festivals, like Ship Rocked, etc. But five years ago, was were you one of the first bands to have your own? Yeah, cruise? I mean, it was uh, Kid Rock had oh. had his before us. And and I talked to Bobby about it. And he loved it, and so I so I said let's let's do a Kiss cruise. So and that's, that's how it started. started. And then every year, the guys look forward to it. They bring their families. They bring, you know. And I think I hope you feel like they're engaging. They go around. They talk to everybody. That you know, it's not like we're held up in the. You know, I mean, you guys last night. I was down watching the bands play and. 
everybody was buying me drinks. They must have had about 210 vodka sodas <laughs> last night. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like my first time on rollerblades going back to my room. <laughs> first time in, yeah, in 25 yeah, years, yeah, are yeah. you sure? 30 years? Uh, and you mentioned, so is this a, was this an idea that you pitched to Paul and Gene? Yeah. Um, we talked to Six Man, to Andy, and, mm-hmm. and Six Man. I've known him for a long time from the Hootie and the Blowfish days. Okay. And he started this. Uh, this cruise stuff, and so I just said, I think it'd be great, and I didn't really understand it until like year two and three, and now every year it just gets more relaxed and, and more fun, and I think that, I hope you guys are having fun, and we try to, you know, we, we try to get... I think they are. And I think we get some, I think we get some really good bands. You know, we haven't had any real turds on this, so that's you know. So that's we, good to hear. Yeah, we try to. I'm get... in one of the bands. I'm glad that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you've been working with Kiss for 20 years now, um, working with Paul and Gene. So, when you're talking about pitching stuff, because Kiss Kiss is so diverse, and and you guys have really almost made it popular uh, as far as it's not just about the music, it's about the KISS brand from the cruise to the you know, Scooby-Doo versus KISS, which was amazing, uh, by the way. If you guys haven't seen that, you should check it out. It's really, really funny. Doc is great in it. He plays a money-grabbing manager who just cares about merchandise. Go figure. <laughs> so are these things, once again, are you, are you actively out there finding out these gigs? And, and- yes, I mean, you know, KISS is... You know, you have to remember when, when in 1975, 76, when they were really blowing out, um, you know, when you see the people that talk about Kiss, like Tom Morello and, and you know, Kurt Cobain and all the people that, that were just Eddie Vedder. And, Basically and every musician. Every, 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 pretty much every yeah. musician that started in the 80s or something. But when they were in 75, 76... They were 14 years old. They were 12, 14 years old. So Kiss, the music was edgy and different at the time, but they were like the musical Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, they were these, you know, almost like superhero type people. So what we've done or what I've tried to do for 20 years is to keep the demographic from 6 to 60. So we have Hello Kitty for young girls and older girls. We have a, a Kiss Scooby Doo. We have coffins. We you know you, we have coffins and condoms. Gene told me we, we get you from birth till death. <laughs> yes, coming and going. Coming and going, right? <laughs> we get you and, coming uh, and going. So it's yeah. So it's um, it's basically about you know keeping a brand new and active and you know uh, and relevant. Mm-hmm. And I believe, and I don't know if anybody else does, but I think Kiss will be around long after I'm around. I just think it's a, I think it's a must-see show. It's a, it's a great show. It's a great family show. It's got fire, blood, explosions. It really has become, uh, a, 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 like you mentioned, like an evergreen type of a band, much like the Stones or, you know, like you see, like Ramones merchandise from kids that have never heard of the Ramones. Kiss now appeals to so many different generations and has become uh, something to everybody, which, like you said, it can last forever. Which brings me to a question. Do you see Kiss continuing with Star, Star Child, Spaceman, Demon, and, and Catman? Well, I always did. Really? When I, when I put them back together in makeup, that was always my vision, was to make this, you know, forever. See, I think it's the only band in the world maybe Floyd could do it. You think? 
Well, just because nobody knows who they are. Yeah. So, but seriously, it's a nameless, it's a nameless, faceless band unless you actually are a huge Floyd fanatic. But you're saying you could put anybody on stage and say it's Pink Floyd. Well, they they were never about them being on stage. So it was all about sound and all about Vision. effects and yeah. vi- visuals. So they could literally do a stadium and put their guitars down and walk out in the crowd and nobody would know who they were. Mm-hmm. So and Gene and Paul and Ace and Peter, at one point in time, nobody ever saw them outside their makeup. And so, which I think is a huge, huge, you know, thing to do for, to, for fans because, you know, it's a little bit like, you know, they're great guys and they're very talented musicians, but, you know, it's like, so was Clark Kent. He was a nice guy. But when he puts the Superman outfit on, it's completely different. It's Superman, right. And that's basically what they do. When Gene turns into the demon, he's literally the demon. Mm-hmm. I, I noticed that. We were talking about the Scooby-Doo where it wasn't Paul, Gene, Tommy, and Eric. It was Starchild, Spaceman, yeah. et cetera, well, That's et what we try to... You're you know, branding we, it as that now. Yeah, we, we try to keep that, and, and we use the icons a lot. Because then, you know, it's almost like the swoosh kind of thing. When mm-hmm. you see... Gene's makeup on a panda bear, you know it's Gene. You know it's Kiss. Yeah, yeah you know it's Kiss. Right. It's, it's a demon. So, you know, they've just, and they didn't know what they were doing, you know, 40 years ago when they came up with this. Gene was a huge comic book freak and loved Kabuki and loved all that stuff. And, and it kind of morphed into Kiss today. How did you, you mentioned that you put the band back together and makeup. How did you get involved with Kiss back in 95, and what was the state of the band at that point in time? Well, in, in 95, it wasn't that I put them back in makeup. They had the idea to co- to put the makeup back on. Never saying it, but they used to call me all the time. I, mean, I toured, I had them on the Bon Jovi tour in 84 through Europe and with no makeup and and stuff like that. And, uh, and so, it, uh, you know, they would call me up and say, you want to talk? And I go, you put makeup on? I go, they go no. I go, well. <laughs> so you weren't yeah, interested in. Not, not you weren't interested. interested in the non-makeup kiss. No, I, I it just didn't seem to me like kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, it just wasn't. I mean, there. I thought revenge and some of the records that they did were really great records, but I think you know, when you lose that whole kind of symbolic mystique, the mystique and stuff, then then everybody starts to. If it's just about the music, you've got. Now you're in competition with every other band in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Kiss in makeup and their show and everything else sets them apart from from everybody. Well, you're right, too. I mean, in the 70s, they were the superheroes. 80s, uh-huh. they became, like like you said, I hate to say every other band because I love 80s Kiss, but they were another band in, yeah. in, a, in a pool of many. Yeah, a really good band. And yeah. you know, Bruce was a great guitar player and all that stuff. But then now, now you're in a different playing field. Now you have to go against Nirvana and you mm-hmm. got to go against all, all these Bon Jovi or Bon Jovi Def and Leopard. stuff like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's puts them in a different playing field. So, um, when they finally called, called you, I mean, was the band kind of at the end of the rope for the, for the non makeup? I think they were, I think, uh, I think Paul kind of says it the best. He kind of went, Put his finger up in here, but I think it's time to. And there's no to, breeze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, you know, I think it's time to put put the makeup back on. And uh, and I drove up there and became their manager that day. 
and it's now it's twenty had, years later. Had they already years. contacted Ace and Peter to reunite at that point, or were you well, they had in that? done. They had done. I guess the way it happened was they did the uh, MTV Unplugged, and they did it with Ace and Peter and everybody. Right. Okay. In an acoustic thing, so that's where I think the start the, the it germinated from there and and became. What about putting makeup back on? So then we started figuring out the best way to try to get dogs and cats to live together as one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you mentioned that. So how how did you do that? How involved were you in this process of bringing back these four guys? It was. I mean, that's what we did every day. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have other artists and I have other businesses and everything else. But it's it was important that you know we we got all four of them together to, and really put together a really great band. Not a, not just somebody that went out there and went through the motions. And, um, you know, with Ace and Peter, and actually Peter on the first reunion tour was the MVP. Really? He, yeah, he really was. He, he worked hard. Um, he played pretty well. And um, then as history repeats itself... <laughs> Yeah, it just starts to crumble after that. Yeah. So was there? Because um, I, I had heard once again, this is just stuff I would read or, or whatever that there was uh, fitness regimens and training, and everybody was you know you got to work out and get in shape and lots of rehearsals. Was that kind of the vibe? Yeah, no, it was a, it was very strict, and it, it was you know, but everybody needed it. They had needed to have structure and they needed to have boundaries, and you know we had. We had uh, Sandy Gennaro, who used to play with Pat Travers, who's a really good drummer. He worked with Peter. Hmm. And then uh, Tommy, who was working for Gene at the time, Gene and Paul, he was actually the musical director. Oh. Because Tommy was, after Black and Blue, he had a couple of platinum records on Geffen with Black and Blue. And then when, of course, grunge came in, all the, all the rock and roll was killed. And um, so then he went into a Kiss tribute band, and so he could he could play everything, and he knew. And even Gene and Paul didn't really know how to play the songs the way they were supposed to be played. Right. Which which is <laughs> no, which is important to fans. Sure. You know, especially this to this type of fan. So then Tommy, you know, and it worked him out every. I mean, we did this for months, and there was health foods and trying to get him, you know. Make sure everybody was straight and ready to go, and and uh, and it worked out. The reunion tour was a great, great tour. I mean, how was that for you as the manager, knowing that you have this? I mean, that is a, a cash cow among all cash cows for rock and roll. Well, yeah. When you're first calling promoters and stuff, what was the reaction? Well, you know, they, they didn't know what they were going to Everybody thought, well, maybe we should do, I remember they go, what we should do is that we should do a couple theaters, like four or five <laughs> theaters, and... And see if um, see if the people are into it. And I go, F- that I'm going to rent the <laughs> I'm going to rent the Intrepid to have a have a big announcement. I'm going to do one show, uh, Tiger Stadium. I just made it up one day. Uh-huh. And so they go, really? I go, yeah. <laughs> so, the, the Intrepid being the battleship. Yeah, the battleship. It. And, you know, we had Conan O'Brien as our host, <laughs> and we announced one show. We sold out in 20 minutes. Wow. And that was 20-some 20, 20 years ago. So 20 years ago, yeah. So um, you mentioned you sold it in 20 minutes. Did you expect that? Well, no, I, I didn't expect anything. I mean, when we first 
did, the first time we were in makeup, we did uh, the Grammys. And so I said, this is what we do. We go and don't get made up at the Grammys. I don't want anybody who could announce this or anything. And I said, what we're going to do is come in the, the back door in gear. Don't say a word to anybody because I don't want people to know that it's really Kiss. I want the speculation of them going, is that really Kiss? <laughs> so anyways, we gave... Um, the Grammy with Tupac. When Tupac saw him, he thought it was like Ronald McDonald on acid or something. He had no idea who these guys were. And uh, and so, and we gave the um, Grammy to Houdini the Blowfish. Was, was that was one band, of your acts. Yeah, one of my yeah. bands. Anyways. So then I said, then we turn around and we go to the photo booth. We shoot the photo press thing, but you can't say a word. And then we just walk out the back door, get in the van and leave. Right? So we did that, and everybody went crazy. And then two days later, I announced the Intrepid, you know, for us to make an announcement. We made the announcement of the first show, which was Tiger Stadium. So tell us about that first night. Well, you know, it's, Kiss is a, you know, they're just, a, people just sit there and they're in awe of them. And when you walk out and they're seven feet tall, you know, and... And Gene sweats so much, man. I can't even get around him. I've had to, I've had to throw five or six jackets away just being around him. He's just he's got blood and shit all over his face. And, you know. But you're at the stadium, though, and like you yeah. said, there's forty thousand people there. Yeah. And, uh, where, where were you watching it from? I was watching it with actually Billy Corgan at the sound mixer. Okay. Yeah. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all hand-picked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Now, Doc, were you a Kiss fan in the 70s? No. I, at the time, um, I always liked Kiss production. Mm-hmm. But back in the 70s, I was managing James Brown and Isaac Hayes and wow. Diana Ross and all that stuff. So I didn't really, I wasn't into that. My first rock band wasn't until 78, which was the Pat Travers band. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't really get into that until, and then, of course, Motley and Bon Jovi and Skids and Scorps right. and all that stuff. But and Hootie. The concept of, of what James Brown is doing is very much like a Paul Stanley type of vibe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about James Brown. What was he like to uh, manage? Well, I was 25, so I'm not sure if I managed him or he managed me. <laughs> Probably that way, yeah. <laughs> so, and I still don't know what he said. <laughs> and about any meeting I had, I had, still don't know. I just look at everybody like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what did he sound like? Can you do a little impression? No, I can't do a joke. Go to the Absolutely. And when he would get excited, you have no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> So he was, uh, he was a very interesting guy. It was, I always heard the rumors that with James's band, it, actually Bootsy Collins told me this, if you made a mistake, James would fine you. Yeah, well, fine you, or if he asked to get paid, he'd fire you. Ooh. Yeah, he was, those were the two rules. So say it again? If, if, if you played poorly, he would fine you because he didn't want to pay you. That's how he did it. Right. And then if you asked to get paid, he'd fire you. <laughs> and he would go through, he would go through on a tour, he would go through, 15, 20 musicians. 
Wow. I don't know where you find, find, found him, but the horn sections were always different. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he was the field guy. It was one take for him. He didn't do overdubs, and he didn't – if the horn section was out of tune, but it felt good to him, that's what it was. Wow. You know, he did, you know, he did please, 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 and Papa's got a brand new bag and all that stuff in a garage with Mac really? Emberman in, in Miami. And like you're saying, it was just all based on feel. That's what James was, just feel. And that, that was music, rock and roll, and soul music in the 70s, 80s. It was about the feel. Well, that's, I mean, we used to listen to music, and now when we record it, we watch music. Mm. You're on Pro Tools, and they go, oh, that's not lining up with that, even though the feel is there. That's a great point. Yes. And what Doc is talking about is for Pro Tools, when you record, it's a computer, and you're basically watching a line on the screen. And if it's a fat line, that means you, hit, you nailed the note. If it wavers a bit, that means it's a little bit shaky, yeah. which is the human element. Right. And that's what I think rock and roll is missing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's, I mean, all music. I mean, now you hit pop music, I, I think the guitar will be a thing of the past. They, they, don't, they, yeah. don't, they don't have a guitar. All they have is loops right? And, and, and beats. And there's no story. There's just a hook. So it's, you know. It's the beat with the hook over top, and yeah, there's your yeah, song, basically, it. right? Yeah, that's they it. don't write by riffs. They write by beats. And you beats. do it a, a thousand times. Yeah, just Same loop it over thing, and yeah. over. Uh, going back to Kiss, when you mentioned that the, the, at first the four guys were all on the same page and, and working their asses off, and then history repeated itself, how far into the original reunion was it before you started seeing some cracks? Well, I mean, during the end of the reunion tour and then into Psycho Circus, hmm. then it started to get crazy. What were you seeing? Like, what was Ace like to deal with? Well, you know, I like Ace, uh, you know, and he's he's probably the, quote, rock star because he was just out of his mind. <laughs> I mean, he he just did shit that nobody would ever, ever do and not think about it. I mean, he'd buy a $12,000 helicopter that's, you know, like six feet long <laughs> and then try to fly it in the suite. And then and, and, and crash the helicopter in four seconds and almost kill people. <laughs> you know, but and he would just do shit like that, right? All you know, all the time. So I, and are you the guy that gets the call? Are you like the principal? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doc, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the here's principal. what's going on. And, yeah. what do, and then what do you have to do? Well, you have to. One time in Dallas, Texas, um, him and his uh, retarded cousin. Uh, <laughs> They were out shooting Uzis or something, but they ended up they ended up getting um, paintball guns, right? So we're staying at the Four Seasons Las Colinas in this in the bungalows that are over the 18th green, right? So I'm playing golf, and I come up the 18th green. I don't know this. And I'm looking. And I see red and green and blue, and I'm going, "The f- is all that?" Right? So. <laughs> Ace would be on his balcony, and when golfers come up, he start pelting them with with uh, paintballs, you know, paintballs, you know. It's just, and he and he did this, and so then in the afternoon, um, he went out shooting again with his brilliant cousin, and I came in about midnight, and his cousin's standing there, and with a welder's hat on, I go, he goes, "Hey, Doc, I'm so and so." I go. Ace's cousin. I said, "Oh, great, great to meet you." He goes, "Well, uh, Ace is all f-ed up." I said, "Oh, really? How unusual!" <laughs> so he says, "No, he uh, 
he got a, a shell jammed in the gun and exploded. He's left-handed. And I think he got a little shrap metal in his uh, chest. So I said, is he okay? He goes, yeah, he's just, he's just pretty hammered. I said, okay, so we're in the bungalows, and I'm right next door to him, right? So Ace doesn't, he has his girlfriend in Montreal, and she can't get a hold of him all day. So finally, Ace answers the phone, and she goes off on him. So he goes, yeah, well, I just got shot in the chest with uh, Uzi, and I'm f***ing spitting up blood. So she calls a 911 from Canada, and, and a SWAT team f- shows up. And they're moving around, and I'm, I'm in bed, and I hear this noise, and I get up, and I open the door, and there's the SWAT team. I go, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. go get back in there. Get, I said, wait, I'm the manager. What are you doing? Ace Freely's been shot. I go, he's not f- shot. He's, he's, he's got a little sh- bit of shrap metal. And they go, we got to open it so that they come in, and they were going to kick the door down, right? But the manager said, let me just use the key. So I used the key and opened the door, and here's Ace with his pants down to his ankles, laying out, sit, sitting on the back end of the bed, passed out. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so I go, oh, no, we got to put his pants on. <laughs> so as we get Ace, we get him on a gurney, and the only thing he wants to do is get pills. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I'm f- dying here. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. I, I need some uh, Oxycontin. And I'm going, you're, you're getting shit. So, anyways, you go to the hospital. I spent till 6 o'clock in the morning with him at the hospital and wouldn't let him give him one thing. And he was pissed. So, but he pulls shit like that all the time. So you have to pick up the pieces of Ace getting shot. Oh, yeah. Or, or we're in Stuttgart, Germany, and I, I would ride with Ace in the car because if I was with Gene or Paul, they would just talk all the time, right? And Ace would just nod out. Right. So I, so I never had to talk to him. So, so anyways, it's pouring down rain. We get to the gig, and I get out, and it's raining, and Ace gets out. And I was talking to Ozzy Hoppy, who's here today, and uh, the promoter to kind of run in, and there's a long hallway. And I don't see Ace, and he had just gotten out of the car. And we would lose him all the time. I mean, we, so I go, go down... And so I started, I go to the dressing room, I go, anybody see Ace? No, he didn't come in. So now we go into all the bathrooms, because he'd walk into the women's room or someplace and go in the stall, sit down, pass out. <laughs> and you go, oh, fuck, we didn't find him. So we couldn't find him. And we were like almost an hour looking for him. And I went out to the driver to see if he could remember which way Ace went. And there was a street light, and I don't know how I saw it, but out of... On the street light in the car, I see a head, a shadow of a head. He got out of the car, walked over to another car, and the door was open, and he got in the car and shut the door. <laughs> and he, he would just do shit like that every day. A needle in an ace stack. Oh, ace was, ace was, ace to find was insane. Him. Yeah, and, you, and you're the one who always has to pick it up and find him. So, uh, what finally led to Ace making the decision of Ace is not in this band anymore and starting to think of having Ace, other guys play? I that. don't know if it, why this is not known, but they never threw Ace and Peter out of the band. Ace and Peter left. They again? Yeah, left again. Just like they did in the 70s. Yeah, at about yeah. the same amount of time. Hmm. It's almost like a stopwatch you can put on it. But, I, you know, 
who knows, you know, it's, you know the mind's a up thing, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, so, so then when did you start thinking, like, all right, Ace isn't doing this anymore, Peter's not doing this anymore, do we get Tommy and Eric or whoever? Well, first of all, it was, we always had, Tommy always had a costume in case Ace could make it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He always had a costume. Was there ever any shows that Tommy played when Ace was still in the band? No, but he was dressed twice in case, in case Ace couldn't get out there. And Eddie, the drummer, drum tech, he, he, had, he had Peter's. He had an wow. outfit. Wow. And he played one show in Birmingham, really? Alabama. Do you guys when, know that? When, uh, I'm sure you guys know yeah. everything, right? They yeah, all know. Could, yeah, they all know. So, so, but you didn't say anything to the people in Birmingham. Oh that no, night. no, he did. I, I'm not sure it was Birmingham, but it was one of the shows. Where was it, guys? Columbus, Columbus, Columbus yeah. Georgia, or Ohio? Georgia, Georgia, Columbus, okay. Georgia, and because um, everyone we, just, we, that, we had just come back from Japan or something, and we did some television show, and then, and then Peter's arms were killing him, and he was just he just got married to Gigi. It's a great couple, by the way. <laughs> great, great couple. And uh, he, he couldn't play. And I said, well, you, you know, I don't know what to tell you. If you can't play, my arms are killing me, all this stuff. I said, well. So I called Gene, and I said, Gene, I said, you know, Peter can't play. He says, well, we've got to cancel the show. How much is it going to cost? I said, well, you'll probably lose about $750,000. He goes, well, what else can we do? I said, Eddie plays. He says, put, put Eddie in costume let's go <laughs> and so we put eddie in and he played well he played well you know he played well but we we announced it to the crowd okay so you said yeah so again like i said i think that you know everybody will say someday paul stanley's going to be replaced hmm. someday i'll be replaced someday <laughs> you know uh, gene will be and if you if you if you're into kiss it's about the characters to begin with. I mean, you know, the Green Hornet, how many have they been? There have been four, five, six. Yeah. Well, James Bond, perfect James example, Bond, Batman. Uh, but at least Bond was completely different people. Mm-hmm. These other people were in the costumes of the Green Hornet. In the oh, costume I see what you're of, you know. right. So those are, those are, you know, significant differences. So, um, so I think that, you know, when it happens, people will be upset. You know, that just have been fans forever of, of Gene and Paul. But then you have this whole undergrowth of people that are four years old now, to eight years old, to ten years old, that just know Kiss. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't really, they really don't know the, the person. Yeah. So, so they're, they're going to stay, as long as we give... You know, if we charge $50 for a ticket, we give them a $100 show. Mm-hmm. And as long as you give people a great show that they... I've never heard anybody walk out of a Kiss show unless you just didn't like Kiss and say, that stunk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually a really, really good show. Well, and, and my son is 12, and my daughter's too, and they, they love kiss as in i was made for loving you and rock and roll night and they know that's the guy with the star and that's the guy with the they, they don't know per se paul gene tommy and eric so kiss is the only band in history that could possibly do this 
Well, yeah, continue I mean, it's on. a little bit like Menudo when they used to throw him out at 18. Exactly. Now like we can Menudo. throw him out at 60. <laughs> 60? Yeah. 65, 70? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but, but you have had, uh, at this point in time, with, with this current lineup with Tommy and Eric and, and uh, Gene and Paul, is Kiss bigger now than they have been? With maybe the reunion, they might have been a little bit bigger, but is it bigger now? Well, I think, um, yes, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it amazes me because, I mean, we play a couple of songs, but most of the songs, like the newest song, was probably 23 years old. Right. You know, so it's not, you know, it, it's not that, and Kiss sells albums today that I wouldn't have thought that they could sell. Like? Well, just, I mean, just, they'll sell... 750,000 records around the world where most people can't wow. sell 100,000 in this today's market. That's true. But Kiss is more of a collectible. So people will like, they like to collect stuff of Kiss. Because Kiss is kind of the ones that started the collectability angle of it. So so they'll, you know, and they'll never open it up. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys probably all have this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I know Gene has every piece of Kiss merch ever. Uh, every t- yeah. he just bugs the shit out of me every day like he sees a poster uh, do i have that no you don't have that could you get it for me no i can't get it for you <laughs> when i was at his house we, we did the interview in his kiss museum which i'm sure you guys have all seen and then he took me upstairs where he's building a new wing for the hello kitty merchandise which he said there was like 1500 pieces of stuff or whatever it was i'm like man where do you live it's all your stuff you know, well, yeah, he's you know, he's uh, probably the biggest Kiss fan in the world. <laughs> For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. So as the manager of KISS, I mean, what a plum gig you would think. It's like it's always easy to be the manager of a superstar band. What do you do to try and continue to build the KISS brand? And- I think, you, you know, you see it from Scooby-Doo to, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to whatever you, that, that we do. You know, we try to stay relevant. We try to do the American Idols. We try to do things that that elevate the band's image mm-hmm. to where, from where we started 20 years ago to where it's probably the, I don't think probably, it is the biggest brand in the music industry mm-hmm. by far. And, um, and I think we just try to, you know, give people what they want. Uh, and give it, and 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 make it quality stuff. And you know, we spend a lot of time on making sure that we get good quality stuff to people. Hmm. It's not just like cheaply made or whatever. It yeah, may be, or, or they're or they're in the, in the dollar bins at Walmart. You have to go to Spencer Gifts, and you got to go to to different places to where they they have their sections and stuff like that. So it's you know try to keep the quality of of Kiss together. I think the last couple of records that they made were really good, really great records. Great rock records, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's hard to do a new rock record because the fans don't want to hear it. Hmm. 
Yeah. Explain. Well, because they want to go see the songs that they that mean something to them. You know, music is a time stamp of your life. So you can hear a song, and you remember exactly where you were when you first heard it, and you know you can actually have the sense of of smell. You can actually you actually yeah. go wow. Well, depending on where you were when you heard the song, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, it's one of those. So people don't really want to. Like if Kiss came out and did, you know, Sonic Boom, the whole Sonic Boom record, people would kill them. Hmm. So I'd say, okay, we will, but we got to promise that people will only play two songs. Right. Okay. right. So that way they get a couple of songs, the, the, the new songs. They kind of fit just what Kiss does. Do you think there's a chance that there'll be another Kiss record at some point? Oh, I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, you know, in the near future, they'll probably have a new Kiss record. Really? Yeah, Paul. Paul loves the. There you go, guys. You heard yeah. that here first. Yeah, he. Paul. Paul loves to produce and loves to write stuff, and he's, um, you know, and and Gene, you know. I think Gene's really done. Uh, he's really coming come back over the last couple of records. His work is really really good on the last two. He's two records, you know, yeah. he always downplays it, but he's a great bass player. I agree. He he downplays it. I don't know why he downplays it. He goes, well, I'm a businessman. Like, oh, yeah. You're a great bass player. <laughs> I said, you're an underrated bass player. He said, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and I was like, well, I know you don't yeah. give a shit, but you yeah. still are. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, uh, and you can see um, just how huge of a following there is. So people want to hear new music from Kiss, even if they don't want to hear it maybe live every song. Right. Just the concept of a new record excites excites people. Right. And you, you get to see, you know... And we don't change. We don't sound like, you know, well, we're trying to sound like uh, Maroon 5. Mm-hmm. We try, you know, we we play our four or five chords. And, <laughs> play them yeah, well. Yeah, play them well. <laughs> play them all in different areas and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Just rearrange them. Yeah, just rearrange them. Yeah. So you, you've, I mean, and we talked a lot about Kiss on this, but I have to talk to you about some of the other bands you've, you've, you've managed because you mentioned, I mean, all these bands – basically became huge you broke them all from bon jovi to motley Crue. maybe not necessarily the scorpions but they were huge when you had them yeah. what is what do you what is it what do you do to when you find a band to make them into a worldwide success you know i i don't know i wish i i wish i knew um i think it's just it's the same theory you just have to apply it differently to everybody else i mean to take hootie and the blowfish and then have now one of the biggest country stars. Of you manage Darius as well? Yeah, I manage Darius okay. as well. And he's had nine number one singles at country. Massive. And he's one of the top eight touring um, country people in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's just paying attention to it and keeping it real to people. And, and the, the more real, the more access people have to you, you know, I, I think the world is more like NASCAR than Formula One. Okay, NASCAR is where you can go to a a, a driver, and you you can walk up to the driver in, in his, you know, his, his little compound, and come on in, and all mm-hmm. that. That's what country and stuff. Right, is. right. And pop and rock is like Formula One, where you don't have any access. So I've always tried to get, make people have access to all my bands, and I think that I think people then feel like they're part of it. Let's talk about Motley Crue. You started managing them really early on in their career. First show was Santa Monica Civic Center. Their yeah. first show? Well, their first big show was New Year's Eve 1982. 
I'm going to go see him on our last show. Wow. Which is New Year's Eve at the Staples Center. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you get hooked up with those guys? Because they were wild at that point in time. Oh, f- uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's. I learned. I learned early on that it's not about my taste. Okay, it's about people's tastes. So I was not when I was younger doing James and you know Mink Deville and all kinds of crazy people. Um, and but I liked that music. It, it wasn't big. It wasn't that huge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, I started, you know, when I saw Motley Crue, I couldn't even understand what they were playing. They were so bad. And so they were, bad? Oh, bad. Oh, yeah. They were rolling around and just lighting each other on fire and shit. <laughs> and um, they said, but I saw 3,000 kids going ape shit and buying every piece of merchandise. I went, I get it. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into when I said, I get it. But... Uh, but then over the next, you know, 15 years, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a big rise, a big boom. So how do you kind of corral these four guys in the early days? What did you tell them? And what was your well, idea? there wasn't telling Motley Crue much. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys, of all the bands I've had, they were probably the most, like, you, 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 you really, they were more like a gang than they were a band. Mm. You know, and they had their own. They had their own little things that they would do. They would, um, you know, they bite people. Bite people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were dark angels. So how would they be biting people? Just on the street? Yeah, they'd, they'd bite. Like, you'd be on the bus. You know, and, of course, they were chemically induced but um, you know, most of the time. But, you know, they'd come and bite you on the shoulder like a dog. Oh, that was like a, a way of saying what's so, up? Yeah, no, yeah it's like, that's cool. <laughs> they, bit, they bit Eddie Van Halen at a dinner. Yeah. Explain. We're in Sweden, and they just thought, well, there's Eddie. I'll go over and bite him. <laughs> Turned into a huge fight with ACDC and, 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 and Motley, and we got thrown off the tour. And there was a fight between ACDC and Motley Crue? No, between Van Halen and Motley Crue. Oh, okay. ACDC was at the party. It was a Monsters of Rock thing, but I did that every day with the crew. Wow. You, you apologized every day. And that's your job to apologize. Well, well, because I'm on the road, so we'd always have a radio, and I'd say, because we'd always get, we, we got thrown out of every hotel I ever got into with them, mm-hmm. okay? And we got thrown out of Howard Johnson's and motels, and then we couldn't even get, we had to put up $15,000 in cash to get into a Howard Johnson. <laughs> and, and what were some of the reasons why you're getting thrown out of hotels? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> This, this, How long this, do we got? This goes on forever and ever. We talk about that, but it was you know they were just they're just crazy. But anyways, they break shit all the time, and then we'd leave, and then we get a big bill. So I said, okay, well this is what we're going to do. If you don't report what you broke in your room, then you have to pay double. Hmm. They go, okay. I thought so. Here it was all night at the radio. I was number one, and they usually had a number. One, come back. I go, yeah, that's one. B6, this is six. Put me down for a TV, a lamp, and I have no idea what the f*** this thing is. <laughs> and then Tommy would call. <laughs> yeah. See if anybody was holding at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So it's just, you know, 
It was like it was it was pretty crazy. So were you on the road with them at this time? Yes. So it's kind of like Spinal Tap, where it's like the manager has to look for uh, guitar strings in the middle of the night and price the rent from the local Hebrews. Like you're doing everything. <laughs> at that time, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it was it was pretty crazy. It was it was a pretty crazy time. So when when the crew started getting bigger, was that just based on their songwriting and, and their? Well, what was your it, influence? It, in that? it started blowing up for Too Fast for Love, and then um, then I put out Shout It to Devil, which took them. That's that's that album took off, and then they did Theater of Pain. Mm-hmm. And then I think I think their best record that they've done to date is Doctor Feelgood, right? Which was a, just a great. The tour was fantastic, and and uh, and they had gotten a well, they had gotten sober because I had I quit because mm-hmm. I couldn't do it anymore. You quit, yeah. You quit when after? Well, I canceled the European tour because Nikki died, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they brought him back do. to life again right. and all that stuff. And then I detoxed him in my house. With his girlfriend, what did you do? I carried him in and out of a hot tub, talking to doctors all night. That was fun. And how long was that for? That was about four or five days, and then finally, when he got to where he wasn't completely sick, then we got him to rehab. Wow, yeah, so that must have been a rough four or five days. Because he's he's a, he's a complete heroin addict at this point. Yeah, he had yeah. two dogs. We called them the heroin puppies. <laughs> they were two labs, and they would sleep as much as he did. <laughs> yeah, it was it wasn't good when they were all on. Um, and you know, and then I had them out. With, uh, I I wouldn't manage GNR because they were you know I had three heroin addicts. I didn't need five more. So you know, I I had my limit on heroin addicts at the time. That's the quote of the so, show so far. Uh, I had three heroin addicts. I didn't need five more. Uh, uh. So I mean, you 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 know what you have with these bands. I mean, how hard is it to know? Like we are making big money. This is a big time, huge rock and roll band, and all these guys are just totally fucked up. And, yeah. and it's your job to keep it together in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. You just you know, like I said, you go around. Apologizing, so you be in the lobby. So we go, Mister McGee. I go, oh Jesus, sorry. You go, no telephone. Okay, good. <laughs> so it's just, it's just one of those. And, Do you ever uh, have to sit them down and say, guys? Oh, all, when we got thrown off after they bid Eddie Van Halen, mm-hmm. the, the, it was crazy. So we get, I get back to the hotel, and they get thrown out of the hotel. So we had to move hotels, and of course. The answer to this was Tommy. Tommy goes, oh, this is a f- dump anyways. You know, that's what we say all the time. So they moved us as a sub youth hostel or some shit in, in Sweden. And then uh, so the next morning I had to tell them I could I get them back on the show, which they couldn't take us off. We were too big. But everybody was just pissed. Mm-hmm. So the next day, so I get them up at like noon. And so I set them down. I go. Well, that was really fun last night, wasn't it? Tommy goes, yeah, dude, that was, that was a f-ing blast. I said, that was a blast? Yeah, man, I had a ball, man. Did you see me chase David Lee Roth up the f-ing stairs? <laughs> I, I said, yeah. he says, I was going to kick his ass. He starts with this, wah, karate shit. And, all this, <laughs> and I'm going, oh, my God. And so they go, why, did they say something? I said, no, they didn't bring it up at all. <laughs> you bit him three times. 
Okay, and then he pulls Vince over the table, and they're fist fighting on the, on the table at a banquet with 1,500 people. And they didn't think that they'd done nothing of it. Yeah, that was a pretty cool night. It was a blast. Yeah, I had yeah. a great time. <laughs> so then on the other side of the coin, you have a band like Bon Jovi. Yeah. It's another band that you're managing at the same time yeah. that are at their peak. When yeah. did you get hooked up with them? Early in the career, or were they already kind of rolling? No, 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 no. I found them in a little uh, place in Jersey. You found them? Yeah. You're a rock and roll wizard, Doc. Well, I don't know. Just <laughs> I stumble upon great stuff. Did people tell you check out this band, or you just walk yeah, in no, and get no, a drink no. one they, night? They, uh, they had Johnny had a song on WAPP Homegrown Record in New York, right? Called "She's a Little Runaway," and which is a really poppy kind of Southside Johnny kind of not so good, good song. Synthesizer, yeah, all that, all that stuff. And um, anyways. I went out to Sayreville, and he had just gotten Richie and Tico and Al. Al, the, ba- the bass player, really put together the band with Tico and Richie. And Dave was always his, you know, like next-door neighbor. And his dad had the van to take because he had a medical supply company. So he would put all the equipment in and take him to play these clubs. And um, so anyway, so we put together, which was then the power station. It wasn't Bon Jovi. Oh, their, their original name was the Power Station? Yeah. Oh, okay. They were going to be called the Power Station. And then uh, I took Johnny down to Florida and sat with him for a couple of days. They bought him five Van Halen books. And I said, this is who you can replace because you're going to go away. Hmm. And I said, so we changed the name to Bon Jovi. So it's like Van Halen. Oh. The diamond and the whole shot. And so, anyways, we put out... Two mediocre records, which was the first Bon Jovi record, and the second one was um, 7,800 7, Degrees Fahrenheit. What a great f- title that was. <laughs> what does that even mean? That was, <laughs> you know what that is? What? I've been shamed to say this. <laughs> what is it's it? It's a melting point of rock. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that, that's about as, it doesn't get any cornier than that. You know, <laughs> so, so, uh. But they were like pop songs, so, and I said, "Listen, you can't play this shit," you know. Um, so I am playing with Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and Kiss and and they, you know Scorpions yeah. and all that stuff. I saw that too. And they go, "Dude, these people are going to kill us." I said, "Don't play that shit. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know any of your songs. <laughs> play something heavy." Yeah. And so they started to become a rock band, and then we did about five hundred shows. Around the world. And then uh, in 86, I, I told Johnny, I said, be my wedding band and you'll be huge. And mm. so he played my wedding and we put out Slippery When Wet that, that same week. And, and he was huge. He was huge. That album went through the roof almost instantly. Yeah, but it was such a fun record. You yeah. know, it was, it was, you know, I got Bruce Fairburn and Bob Rock to do it together. It took us six weeks from start to finish to do it. Um, and we had first first time we had really outright outside writers, which was only one Desmond Child, and uh, Desmond was uh, in a commune. He wasn't a big songwriter at all. He had, he had hardly written anything, and um, and he came up with hooks like "You Give Love a Bad Name" and "Living on a Prayer." And Incredible songwriter, Desmond. Yeah, well, he just hooks. Yeah, the band, you know, Johnny and Richie writes. Wrote most of the stuff. 
and always have. So he would just come up with the hooks. He came up with the hooks. He did the same thing with uh, Aerosmith. And with, with Kiss, it. too, all throughout the 80s. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love in an Elevator and all the rest Tears of the Tears are falling. Actually, Paul's the one Crazy nights. that told me to get Desmond Oh, for, uh, for, for Johnny. Did you know Paul and Gene? Yeah, in the I 80s? knew Paul from. We used to go to Studio 54. I used to see him at Studio 54 because I lived right off of Central Park South, or right on Central Park South. And I'd go to Studio 54 in the 70s, and, and uh, Paul would be in his boa. Uh, in his boa, yeah. Well, that that was the era of of glam. That's yeah. what, and it was crazy because you know California had hippies and New York people had glam people. They yeah. were they were into glam, so everybody showed up and looking like David Bowie. <laughs> Not me, but how crazy was Studio Fifty Four? The rumors of that place that was crazy. Yeah, yeah. In what way? People having sex in the middle of the club? or Well, in different parts of it. And then Steve Rebell's office, you'd go down there and you'd see Andy Warhol and John Belushi and everybody else would be in there just piles of blow. and Just out in the open? Just a, yeah, just a normal day. <laughs> Cops never went in there? No. Didn't care? No. It was the 70s, right? Yeah, it was pretty... Pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but but we were talking about Bon Jovi. They weren't as crazy as a Motley Crue. No, 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 no. I mean, they they had their... They had their stuff, but but nothing like nothing that right drastic. Uh, but and Johnny was a, is you know Johnny's a business guy too, mm-hmm. and you know he likes to have fun and all that stuff. But he's a business guy, and he wants you know he likes world domination. So do you still have a relationship with yeah, him? Yeah, I just I, he was in Nashville. Uh, I was just at Richie's house for three days last week. Richie, do you, do you yeah. think Richie will ever play with Bon Jovi again? You know, something you never say never. Right. You know, I think they will. Um, I think it was just, I think Richie just wants to try himself as the front guy. Yeah. You know. Well, like you said, being in a band is like being in a four-way marriage or a five-way marriage, especially amongst the two alpha males in the band. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to stay together for that it's, long. It's, you know, it's really difficult. It's a lot of therapy. It's therapists. I don't care what band you're in. When I sign brand new bands, I have a band called Vintage Trouble. Right. That's out with ACDC. And it's one of the best bands I've ever signed. They're just amazing. Mm. But, you know, after 500 shows in 59 countries, you know, start getting mad. And, you yeah. know, they start out in a van. Yeah. And they go, this is the coolest thing in the world. They finally get their first bus. Wow, this is unbelievable. And then all of a sudden you go to a private jet and they go, What's the green stripe doing on a private jet? You know, <laughs> yeah. Really? You're worried about the green stripe? <laughs> they only have Miller beer on here, Doc. Oh, this I know. sucks. I know it. I know it. Yeah. So, I'm sure you see that again they, and again, again right? right? Again, it truly is. It repeats itself every time. And so it's so predictable now to me. You know, And I tell them, I go, you are going to go through this. They go, oh, no, 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 not us. They go, oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll oh, yeah. never happen to us. Yeah, that's yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the, a private jet, one of the most famous shows of all time. I've actually just been watching the Scorpions at the Moscow Peace Festival. Yeah. I love the Scorpions, by the way. What, so do what I. What a great rock and roll band, man. They're the, they're the funniest. They're, 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 such, they're so German. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and they're funny, but... You, but you don't know why they're funny because they're trying to sp- speak broken English to you. Because when I first started with them, they hardly spoke English. 
Which is great because they're already a worldwide big time band at that point, yeah. right? When yeah. did you start with them? Eighty five. Yeah, something like that. Eighty. Uh, yeah. 85. So they've had like they've had two or three huge, huge. records in yeah. the states. Yeah. And we were just uh, I got my uh, did the Monsters of Rock with Van Halen, and um, and so, but they would you know, Klaus would come in and say, "I have a great song." I go, "Okay, what is it?" Uh, I love you. Yes, I know too. <laughs> I go, what? Because <laughs> you no, no, you can't do it. So he had to get translators and stuff to to do it. But uh, and then the, what I used to love to do to Rudolph is he would get dressed up in the most f-ed up outfits, man. He, he wore bumblebee outfits and fur vests and shit. He'd walk out. I have no idea what he. I go, so he'd walk out and he'd look at me and he'd go, yes. And I go, no. And he go, and he go change, and he go change. I did this for ten years, twelve years, almost every show. Yes. Was, yeah. No. no. <laughs> but they were they they were a great band. Yes. To this day. Oh yeah, they could, they could play a band. Still rocking. Yeah, they play they play really really well. I I I have so much respect for those guys. But let's talk about the Moscow Peace Festival and what a lineup it was. Scorpions, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, that's pretty much the crux of it. Mo- yeah, 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 Skid Row. Skid, Skid Row, too, right. Skid, Skid Row, another huge band. Gorky Park, Cinderella. So you've got oh, Cinderella as well. Yeah. Gorky Park's a Russian band. So you guys are flying over from the States yeah. to Russia all on the same plane. Yes. What the hell was that like? Not good. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was for the Make a Difference Foundation. Right. So it ended up. Did you be... st- set up that show? Yes. Okay. Well, that was my show that I put together. It took me. I went to Russia 46 times. And actually, the guy that helped me do it will be here tomorrow. He's coming on board, Stas Naman. And he's bringing the ambassador to, uh, uh, for, the ambassador to Cuba from Russia. Wow. And so, anyways, we're. That there's a movie coming, you know, starting to formulate now on that. But it's it's really like I came up with this idea with Stas to do the first rock show in the Soviet Union. And so it took me four years. And when we flew over, we had no permits to do anything. Really? None. And this when you flew over with the bands, you had no permits? No, we had – I had 64 tractor trailers – Coming from all over Europe. With the gear on it? With gear, ice. I couldn't even get ice in Moscow. Wow. At that time. You couldn't get anything. And so Stas, Stas was the biggest artist in the Soviet Union for 20 years. And his grandfather was Nikolai McCoyman, who was the premier of Russia for 40 years and solved the Cuban Missile Crisis. And it was on the cover of Time magazine. And Stas was born in the Kremlin. And so he didn't have any money because nobody had any money over there then. But everybody knew him, so he got a, you know, he was like the diplomat right. of the underground and everything. So black market and all that stuff. So Stas would just say, I say, I have to meet with the committee. He goes, they're bullshit people. They're not going to get do anything. I said, but I have Pepsi and MTV. And I'm, 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 you know, broadcasting it to 50 countries around the world. You know, I got to have... Like they say, okay, 
Yeah. So he said, do you want a stamp? Goes to his office, stamps the paper with something some in Russia. <laughs> says, show him that they won't know what it is. <laughs> so that's what I did. And uh, so, so it, anyways, it was for the Make a Difference Foundation because it was for drug and alcohol. Because we, I was trying to find a hook that the Russians couldn't say no to. Right. Because you have to remember, anything with a guitar on it was not being in Russian. You couldn't listen to it. Kids would go to jail for listening to really? Sabbath. And, yeah, they used to trade tapes on corners. Rock music was forbidden. And, and because it was evil? or It was like devil's music. Okay. So they, you, Stas started this green theater, and I got him instruments. I donated to him, but they couldn't even get him in through customs. And so he had the black market get him in. So kids, they, they, had, they didn't have guitar strings. They just couldn't get picks. Wow. They couldn't get, it was, it was that bad. So then I went to this hospital with Stas that his friend was the doctor where there were 4,000 kids in this hospital that were for drug and alcohol, mostly alcohol, but inhalants were sniffing gas. And, oh, um, wow. And so what the, the, the way that they would treat them was like the way we treated alcoholics in the 40s and, and 30s. We thought electroshock therapy, all that kind of stuff, because we thought it was a mental disorder and not a physical disorder. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, when you see that, we went crazy. So I went and got, because I had put, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 people in rehab over the last four years. I had a, I had a, whole, I had a whole wing. <laughs> I had a whole, whole wing at rehab. And... Um, so I got the doctors to come over to, to Russia to set up a program to train the doctors in the Soviet Union how to treat alcoholism oh, and drug okay. addiction. So wow. that's what the that's what in the proceeds of the show was to to do that. But right. you couldn't get the ruble wasn't worth anything even in Russia and it wasn't traded on the exchange. So we had to buy wood and aluminum in Sweden and take the, that and, and barter. And I mean, in Russia, take aluminum and wood and sell it in Sweden to, to get, get to, the money. To get the money out. Wow. For, for, the, for the doctors and stuff. So it was a, every day it was a new experience. So for four years, you're working on the show, and finally you have it's a giant stadium yeah. show. Everything's made. And we go back to the plane ride, which you said was not good. Well, it was for make a difference, but it was kind of like make a different drink. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so they were, yeah, they found syringes in the bathroom when we landed in England. And, wow. Know, yeah, it was, it was, didn't but, start out real well. But Motley Crue were sober at this point, too. Yeah, right? they were sober at that point. So, luckily. Yeah. Lovely. But it must have sucked for them, though, to be sober on this plane. Yeah, I think that's, you know, when people get, sobriety is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, there's some people that shouldn't be sober. And, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, but they, they were really angry about being sober. They didn't know? want to do it. No. Yeah. No, this was not, this wasn't in the brochure that Nikki had. <laughs> yeah, the rock okay. star brochure. <laughs> yeah, right. Who who was the craziest guy in the plane? Well, Ozzy's always the funniest. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy's always the funniest. Um, I think, and then of course Sebastian is just like 
a gnat. You know, he just flew around the airplane. And he was, <laughs> dude, yeah, dude, yeah, dude. Yeah, oh, my What's God. What's up, dude? <laughs> oh, my God. That's... <laughs> so... I'm going to have nightmares after this conversation, <laughs> by the way. This is therapy. I'm going to have to go to therapy. It's a dark therapy, Doc. Yeah. Uh, so when you, when you get there, how do you decide or who's deciding what the, the, the set list of bands are? Because they're all well, giant uh, we, headliners. We had, a, we had a pretty much set up way ahead of time because MTV was involved. They were shooting it live. It was the first time that a rock band had ever been broadcast on, on Russian television. It was, a, wow. it was the first show ever to be put on, uh, on Russian television. And um, so Bon Jovi was the biggest band in the world at the time. But the Russian people really didn't know all mm-hmm. that much about. We released Johnny's record, New Jersey, was, re- was the first... U.S. released record in the Soviet Union. Oh, okay. Rock record. So, and we released it that day when we when we landed. And to be honest with you, it was so easy to get through Russia. The, we couldn't do it if we went to Fargo, North Dakota. We landed on the, on the runway in Moscow and had a press conference right on the run, runway. <laughs> it was like you couldn't do that anywhere yeah, right. here. No, no, no chance. And and the Russians really were ready to. To um, to see this change, mm-hmm. and and when they could see rock bands, and it was a pretty emotional time. Three hundred thousand people for over two days. So Bon Jovi was the biggest band in the world, but they but but not in Russia. Not in Russia. The biggest band in Russia was really Ozzy, was because of Sabbath, and the second was the Scorpions. Mm. So what we did was Ozzy closed the show. Johnny was on second. Scorpions was on before him, and then for television we flipped them. Okay. So on the delay, when we did, when we broadcast it, then Bon Jovi was the headliner. Gotcha. But at the actual show, the actual Ozzy show, was last. Yeah. Scorpions yeah. were semi. And... It was it was Ozzy, Bon Jovi, Scorpions, then uh, from Motley Crue. Yeah. To- so how did Motley Crue like being that far down? Were they mad? I assume so. They were pretty angry about everything at that point. <laughs> Not only are they sober. They were, they were pissed off for- at everything. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and was that, was that pretty much the end of the, of the road for you guys? You yeah, that was pretty – well, you know, it's – yeah, that was pretty much the end of the road for, yeah. you know, for me. Um, it was just – it was a sad time. It was, you know, an angry time. Mm-hmm. And as, as much as we were changing the world with the show – which I believe is a is a huge, huge factor why the wall and everything came down and Gorbachev allowed it and everything else. And um so they they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. It was a battle of the bands. You know. Oh right. Everything was a battle of the bands for you know them. So. It wasn't solidarity, it was about No, no, no. That's you know had nothing to do with the show, it's all about them. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what and pretty much I think that was all of them. Yeah. But that's what they did back then. You know, you go, if you were at a stadium show with whoever, you tried to upstage them, you know. Yeah. And that was what you did. So that, That's showbiz, though. Everything right? was, yeah. It was, it's a wild show. Did the show end up uh, all, all said and done? You mentioned they could help, in a lot of ways, tear down the walls. Did you get yeah, you know, it's like uh, Stas, who some of you guys will be probably um, tomorrow. 
um, he brought me into Gorbachev, and I was going to manage Gorbachev and his wife. You're going to manage? Yeah. Because How do you he, manage Gorbachev? Well, this was, well, you take a two-year book life, you know, the book rights of his gotcha. life. Two-year touring, you know, for, because he's the man who changed the world. Yeah. He, cert- he did. He stopped the Cold War, he's, he, but nobody knew it. Wow. The Russians didn't like him at all, mm-hmm. and the Americans loved him. And I was there three days before he was thrown out, and, wow. and um, I was trying to sign him, and uh, he wanted to be the premier of Russia. And so. I just love the concept of you manage Gorbachev, like you're having like, image meetings. Well, I thought, wear, the, see, I thought the red spot was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> we can market this. Yeah, red spot we can, we can Everybody's going to have one of these pretty soon. <laughs> Just a few more questions, Doc. Yeah. You briefly mentioned Skid Row, and I have to ask you, is you, you still manage them to this day? Yeah, you know, in certain ways I do, but, they're you know, until they get back together again. Well, Sebastian, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You did this, you know, we're talking about doing it with Kiss. Yeah. Do you try and sort of orchestrate that? Because that would be a, a big thing. Yeah, Row. I mean, the two things that I, the two bands I'd like to see, three bands I'd like to see get together that I've worked on is G&R, mm-hmm. because I think, them together as a unit is something that everybody would like to see. It's great for rock and roll. Yeah, it is. And um, then Pantera, mm-hmm. which I've always wanted to put Pantera because I managed Phil and and uh, and Down. And um, who would you, know, you put in the guitar spot? I'd probably put Zach Wild mm-hmm. because the Zach's a, you know Zach was Dimebag's best friend yeah. and. Um, and Dimebag was buried in a kiss casket. That's right. Yeah, I, I sent it to him. I, you know, I gave it to him. And uh, I was on my boat when it happened, and I had it sent to him. Um, the Pantera and Skid Row with Sebastian. I have mixed emotions because if I have to be around Sebastian that long, it could be... <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of the bad. But but see the thing is like, couldn't they tour like in separate buses or something along those lines? Well, you or? end up you end up doing that, you know. To you know, I mean, like Motley, they travel completely separate. They yeah. walk out on stage together and walk off and never say a word to each other. I don't like stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, you can you can get through almost anything if you want to, right? You know, so it's, it's just a matter. It's, you, it's an option of what you want to do. You have fun with your life or be miserable. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, a couple more questions. Uh, what's your favorite Kiss song? Well, that's a that's a really tough. Actually, it's well, it wasn't a Kiss song, but I like when they do "Guy Gave Rock and Roll" when they okay. would play it live. It's it great was tune. always it was always uh, one of my favorites. That's one of them. Now you mentioned all these crazy guys that you've been around and putting people in the rehab. What's the craziest story that you have? What's the craziest night you had? Oh, no, I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going there. Uh, I don't even know if I can tell you one. They've been, they've been pretty crazy, but it's it's been a great it's been a great ride. We continue to do it, and we have new artists that are coming up that are that we. I love breaking new artists. That's that's. I don't care. I mean, we're in country now as well, and you know they asked me to talk to these old legends about doing stuff and I go, they're not going to listen to anything you have to say. <laughs> so I like to take young kids and that have dreams and and want to work hard and, and teach them pathfinding and, you know, it's just life skills that'll make them better people and 
also make them rich and is is it different breaking bands now than when you broke Bon Jovi or Motley Crue or rebroke Kiss? The music industry has changed in the last 35, 40 years since you started. You just have to be a step ahead of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can't wait around. I mean, every every time I had meetings with all my staffs, I tell them, forget what you knew yesterday. Okay, we need forward thinkers, and I have a lot of young kids that, that uh, are coming for out of Vanderbilt and and. Uh, Berkeley and stuff like that that just have a lot of great sense of how to social networking and things that you now it's a whole different way of of monetizing what you do and you have to be on top of it mm-hmm. that's all so you can you know and it's also the best thing is to have a great band that <laughs> never changes that never changes if you have a great band that's why I always tell people they go well how do you do this I say well here if you are the best band in the world people are going to come and see you and if you're not they're going to go see the best band in the world mm-hmm. <laughs> right yeah, that's pretty simple so that's pretty much our model Be- besides Kiss who is your favorite band to manage oh jeez I think my favorite person to manage is Darius He's the most. He's so talented and 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 a, just a great guy, and you know, just so down to earth, humble guy. Yeah, he's just he's the laziest, hardest working guy in the world. That's rock and roll. <laughs> That's man. what he says. He goes, <laughs> "I don't want to do anything, but I'll do everything." <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, uh, we can see you guys all on the Darius Rucker cruise, which I'm sure will be starting yeah, in a few years. Uh, so, uh, thanks to Doc McGee. The reason why we're all here, he started the Kiss Cruise, right there, man. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to Doc McGee. Listen, you couldn't make it on the Kiss Cruise, so I brought the cruise to you. Great stories from Doc McGee. He's managed all the great rock bands, still manages Kiss today. Had another great conversation with him this past weekend uh, at Paul's, uh, Paul's uh, Soiree. I would love to get him back on Talk is Jericho to share more crazy road stories with us. He said to some other people who told me through the grapevine, he thought that was the best interview he's ever done. And apparently Paul and Gene said the same about their interviews. I want to thank all the KISS organizations for being so cool with Talk is Jericho. I'm getting down to the nitty gritty. Got to get Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer on the show now. And of course, Peter Chris. And if I do that, I'll have had all KISS members on this show that are still alive, with the exception of Vinnie Vincent. And no one really knows where he is right here right now. I know where I am. I'm in London. And I know t- uh, tonight I'm going to be hosting the Classic Rock Awards at the Roundhouse in London. Jimmy Page will be there. Brian May will be there. Bruce Dickinson, Chris Jericho. I mean, four rock and roll heroes, right? <laughs> and then Friday, Fozzie is in Europe. The Cinderblock Party Tour kicks off on Friday in Rotterdam. Nonpoint and Sumo Psycho are with us. After we rock the dam on Friday, we're headed to Vienna, Hamburg, Berlin, Cologne, France on November 20th, Luxembourg, Reading, London on uh, uh, November 26th, Islington Academy, Manchester, Southampton, Birmingham, Newcastle, Nottingham, Sheffield, Wales. So many great gigs. Go to FozzyRock.com for all the cities, all the venues, all the VIP ticket information. Uh, VIP with Fozzy. You get to see the sound check. You get a uh, Q&A with myself and the rest of Fozzy, uh, pictures with the band, all that sort of great stuff. We have one of the greatest VIP programs in the world. Come on down and check it out. Thanks to everyone coming to see the Fozzy show. And thanks to all of you, the Talk is Jericho diehards who listen to Talk is Jericho twice a week for free, which you're able to do thanks to the great Talk is Jericho sponsors. So 
Appreciate the sponsors. Hats off the sponsors. And please go support them. MeUndies.com. Get 5, 10, 15, 20% off your first purchase and free shipping. DraftKings.com. Use the promo code Y2J to play for free. DDP Yoga. Start changing your life today at DDP.com slash Jericho Uber. And, of course, Amazon. Use them TIJ links whenever you do any online shopping. You know where to find them. Go to PodcastOne.com. Click on the Supporter Show Sponsors banner at the top of the page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links for USA, UK, and Canada. A Don't have to uh, buy whatever you want. There's no extra fees or hidden charges. You just get what you want, and Amazon kicks back a couple bucks in the TIJ can to keep things rolling. Uh, so that's it. Go to Amazon. Buy all that stuff. Do what you want to do. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks so much to Doc McGee. And this Friday, got a very special, uh, very special show, a tribute to one of the most beloved uh, pro wrestling superstars of all time, Eddie Guerrero. Ten years since Eddie passed away, and we have the Eddie Guerrero tribute here with Dean Malenko, Chavo Guerrero, and myself sharing our stories. Lots of laughs, uh, lots of tears, some great, great memories about one of our best friends in pro wrestling and could possibly be the greatest pro wrestler of all time, Eddie Guerrero. We miss you, Edward. We love you, man. And a very special C. What's what's boy in Spanish? Boy, boyo, um, si nino. There we go. That's Freddy Grow. All right, this Friday, you do not want to miss this episode of Talk is Jericho. We'll see you then. God bless you. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com.